710 ESPN presents The Experience Experience. with Laverne Cusack, where we go beyond the play and focus on athletes, fans, events, and the biggest issues that inspire and shape our lives. Here's the host of The Experience, Laverne Cusack. Cusack. My guest today is a number one Amazon bestseller in the Zen Buddhism, Chris Neely is author of Buddha is a Greeter at Walmart, using Zen in everyday life. Mr. Neely has been studying Zen, Buddhism, and Taoism for decades, ever since his mom plopped him down in front of a TV and made him watch a program about Zen presented by uh, Zen scholar Alan Watts. Chris's aim is to interpret Zen Buddhism and Taoism as ways that attract new episodes. Ugh and Taoism as ways that attract new people to the subjects. Buddha is a greeter at Walmart. It took Chris several years to complete and reflects his personality, his warmth, and sometimes wacky sense of humor. He had me cracking up. He is so funny. He is uh, also a published author of several other books and scores of articles on information technology and an award-winning theatrical director and actor currently living in Spokane, Washington with his wife, Laura, and son, Parker. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Yes, and you you have a real interesting life. You came from the radio world, so you know about the industry. I know a little bit about the industry. I've been fired, too, so I understand this thing. <laughs> yeah, the radio industry is something else. But today, we're talking about your book, and it's the number one Amazon bestseller in Zen Buddhism. Is that correct? That's correct. How did you feel when it went to number one? It was a, it was a little bit surreal. You don't really ex- expect you know, to hit number one, you're like, Hey, I'm, I made it into the bestseller list. That's, that's an achievement. And then it hits number one and you're like, well, what do I say now? So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Is it a like, um, so we, we work, we work, we work, and then we get accolades or awards or this and that. And then it's like, okay, n- next. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. 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 No, this, no, you, you just, you, you, you realize that it you got to be careful about it. It's like, it's not so much that, you know, I'm this really amazing writer, although I am, but <laughs> the, the, uh, it's the people who actually bought the book that make you number one. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. So now it took you a lot of years to write this book. Ten, is it, is it 10 years it took you? It took me 10 years to write one year back in 1992. I wrote three books in one year. Um, but when I started to write uh, Buddha is a Greeter at Walmart, I, I kept, it was the first book that I wrote where I was actually giving advice to people. And so I took that responsibility real seriously. So I just kept reworking it and reworking it and polishing it until finally my wife was, I'm going to hire a hitman if I didn't finish the book. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And, uh, but yeah, it took, uh, it took 10 years, but to, to get, um, to get that kind of polish takes time. Yeah. And I had mentioned to you that we have quotes on the wall here in, 
uh, in the ESPN studio. And one is from Phil Jackson saying, if you see Buddha in the lane, throw him the ball. Um, and mm-hmm. I thought that was that's a great that's a great, great quote. Someone here chose that one quote. Um, I think that he brought Buddhism to the attention of an audience that uh, wouldn't be open to hearing it otherwise. What do you think? Um, the surprising thing is how how sports and the idea of of being mindful, being in the moment, mm-hmm. they are so intertwined that whether, you know, arose by any other name, whether you call it Zen or whether you call it being in the zone, mm-hmm. concentration. I mean, you've heard all of these terms from, you know, Tiger Woods and basketball players and so on. So, you know, you got to be in the zone. And Zen is a way of liberation, just like uh, if very much in the same family as yoga, uh, of trying to liberate you from from the noise in your mind so that you can truly be present in the here and now. And, and that's really all it's about. Everything else is, is sort of fluff, but it's trying to get you to stop that noise in your mind, or at least just observe it, let it go by so you can concentrate uh, on what's going on now. Yogi Berra, uh, somebody asked him one time, you know, what do you think about when you're hitting? And he said, how can you hit and think at the same time? <laughs> right. right. And you get that, right? Uh-huh. You uh-huh. get that. And it's the same thing. I mean, you know, when Brady's in the pocket, yep. you think he's actually thinking about the mechanics of throwing the ball. And it's, it is, it is true instinct. His mind is doing the minor calculations necessary to adjust things, but it is absolutely in the zone. He's not thinking about throwing the ball because then you'd be thinking about throwing the ball. He's thinking about in the moment, execute. Yes. And that's, and that's, that's what then drives you towards is right here, right now, very much like uh, comedy improvisation, yes. right? Very much like comedy improvisation. You've got to be in the moment. And that's what, that's what, uh, that's what Zen teaches you. And that's what, Buddha is a greeter at Walmart teaches is, you know, all these lessons about uh, how to be in the moment. Yeah. And uh, I always talk to my husband about like when we're watching football or something and I can totally like feel the energy if if a team is like they're not in the moment and they're worried that they're, you know, 20 points down. And it, it's just that energy versus the other team who is making the plays and it seems like everything is clicking for them and it's like they're mm-hmm. as one on on the field. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. They they're not thinking about something. Mm-hmm. They're executing Alabama, right? What put that football team on the on the uh, out on the grass and they they're not thinking about how this slot play is going to run if they just execute because they're not going to take the time to think they're good. They have tuned themselves mm-hmm. to quiet the noises in their mind so that they can just concentrate on this is what I do. And I'm not thinking about, you know, so I wonder what, you know, the sports page is going to say today. It's like, exactly. no, you can't, you can't do, you can't do both. Whether it's, whether it's, um, there's a there's a chapter in the book called uh, Ginger Rogers and the Zen of Cruise Liners, um, with the old story that you know Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did except backwards and in high heels. <laughs> right, right, right. 
think about that. Could she possibly have been thinking about anything other than pure execution when you're going backwards in high heels and dancing with somebody like Fred Astaire? Mm. No. Right. Tell us about your background. How did you get into this way of thinking of living? Yeah, when when I was like, I don't know, nine or 10, my mother plopped me in front of the local uh, educational TV station and said, watch this uh, program. It's a guy named Alan Watts, uh, who was one of the um, <clears throat> one of the first uh, um, Anglo-Americans to really write about Zen. And she said, watch this guy. You might not understand everything he said, but, you know, he, I think he's got something to say to you. And she's right. I understood his name and not much else for the next 59 <laughs> minutes. But it got me it got me into studying uh, Zen and Taoism. And um, so for, you know, a, a lot of years now, um, I've been uh, studying it and using it in uh, in my work as well as in my avocations. And then finally, I said, you know what? There's a there's a great book um, written by one of the guys that I that I that I studied, um, Dining Katagiri. He wrote a book called "You Have to Say Something," and because it happens a lot in Zen, where if you if you feel like you have a voice and you want to go teach, suddenly your mind, your, it's like your tongue just refuses. It just comes right off its roller. It just refuses. To, to enunciate any words because mm-hmm. you're like, hey, who am I? Who am I to talk about this? Um, and that's another reason why it took me ten years to write the book. But uh, it just started with my mom, you know, opening the way, pointing uh, towards um, towards them, and I just stayed on it uh, kind of ever since. Isn't it true that it's like so? You're you're writing this book and. You know, you hear all the thoughts of, you know, your self-criticism. Oh, who am I to do this? And then, like you're saying, like, as an athlete, you know, is on the court or on the field, they have to be that super focused. Do you find in your writing that once you got those thoughts out of your head, it you were able to flow with the words or the, the flow or the words came naturally for you? Yes, the 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 key is um, it's a lot like it's 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 a lot like what I'm directing in the theater. I direct and I write the same way. When I look at something on stage, I go, if I don't like it, I change it. If I like it, I leave it alone. It's the same way in writing. I write something and then I read it out loud. And if it if it doesn't have the rhythm, mm-hmm. right? If it doesn't have the groove then it's like, no, there's something there. There's too many syllables or it's the wrong word or I'm trying to be pretentious or something. And so, you know, you got to go back. That's why this, you know, this book started out as like a 365 page manuscript and the, the published book is down to about 195 pages Wow! because I just had, you know, I just, it was just, there, I was, I was talking too much and, and the symbolism in Zen is a finger pointing at the moon. It, it you don't say anything. You just point at the moon, and you know they're going to figure out. Okay, it's the moon, and it's their experience of the moon, and so on and so forth. Well, it's the same thing in 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 writing or in um, in executing a uh, a move in in a sports situation. Mm-hmm. Take out what doesn't need to be there. 
mm-hmm. and what's left is the core. What's left is you'll look at it and you'll say yes, or um, when it's executed well, right. um, you look at it and, and you say the one word that describes all of Zen, which is, wow. <laughs> Think about it. You know, you see a play. Mm-hmm. You're like, how could he possibly have done that? Mm-hmm. Um, like that one time where Tiger at the uh, at Augusta with the oh. ball that went all the way around the green <laughs> and came all right to the lip of the cup. Remember that one? Yeah. And then it fell in. <laughs> and it falls in. And the only word that comes to your mind is, Wow. wow. Right. Because right. once you're at wow, you're in the moment. Right. Right. Yeah. And sp- speaking of that. So back in the day when I did theater, darling, um, I there's this, <laughs> <laughs> there's this playwright that I love to work like I would read it through and it was like I had it memorized. But then there is another playwright that I couldn't memorize any of his lines. Like, it, it didn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. It, I guess you're, it, that's what you were saying. Is like There's a flow to things. And if it's in that flow, I, I pick it up just like that. You know? But if it's, like, disjointed, I can't, I can't connect the thought, I guess. Right, right, right. The way I the, see one of the things about writing is there's my voice and there's Alan Watts's voice and there's a guy named Christmas Humphreys. That was his name, uh, mm-hmm. who was also one of the first Anglos to write about Zen. Um, it, writing is very much akin to music, okay? Mm-hmm. Go listen. To, there are some people who, um, you know, go listen to Bitches Groove, Miles Davis. There are some people, you put that album on, all they hear is the sound of a duck in the garbage disposal, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. just can't hear Miles. The same way some people, you know, you crank up the Beethoven and, you know, all they hear is oompa, oompa. They just don't hear it. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you put on Mozart, they're like, I get it, mm-hmm. right? If you put on Larry Carlton as opposed to Miles Davis, they're like, oh, yeah, I can hear it. That's the thing. Is there is the voice that you the, the playwright you couldn't you know you're working on 16 pages of Ibsen and you're like I just can't memorize this guy right mm-hmm. it just doesn't work but Tom Stoppard the real inspector mm-hmm. around yeah man I can memorize him all day yeah the it's 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 the voice that you can hear it's the music you can hear and the ones that you can't and part of what life is about. Um, from a Zen perspective anyway, is tuning out all the things that you can't hear or that are not on your frequency, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, RuPaul talks about this. He talks about finding your own frequency in his masterclass. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like, hey, if you can't can't hear that playwright, you can't memorize that playwright because he's not He's not on your frequency. Right. Very interesting. So during this whole pandemic thing, yeah, again, um, I was talking to my husband and, you know, just looking back at this year and how much my brain was like, I felt anxious and like I was cry all the time. And there was so much stuff. And I'm like, 
why do I feel so bad? It's like, because Lafern, mm-hmm. you're watching TV 24-7. <laughs> Lafern, right, so I right. I went in and I was like, okay, what what do what does it feel good for me? What do I need to get rid of? And it t- just turned right. it around for me. And I was like, even like people that w- were around me or that I communicated with on the phone or text or whatever – People on Facebook, people, you know, I just had to say to myself, this isn't healthy. This isn't radiating well for me. I need to stop. And I started feeling better. Is that part of the Zen? Yeah, there's a Zen koan. Koans are are stories that teachers use to point towards an understanding of of, uh, life. And there's a... a, um, uh, there's a Zen koan um, about two monks walking along this muddy path. They get to a spot in the road, lots of water, and there's a woman, a young girl, you know, teenager standing there, just gorgeous. And the older monk doesn't bat an eye. He picks the girl up and says, come along. And he carries her across the water and he sets her down and he keeps going. And the younger monk comes stumbling along and, and off they go. End of the day. They're at the monastery, and the younger monk turns to the older one and says, I don't know how you could do that, man. We're not supposed to pick those women up. We're not supposed to look at them, especially when they're gorgeous and cute and lovely and well-dressed and whatever. And the older monk stops him and says, you know what the difference is between you and me? Um, I put that girl down by the side of the road. You're still carrying her. Oh, wow. You see? You said, wow. <laughs> See what I mean? You've got the story, right? You've got the story, right? Mm. Um, You see what he's saying. And that's the key is um, a lot of people that you talk to in the Zen community, they'll be talking about, I'm going to, I'm going to see myself taking this negative thought. Mm -hmm. I'm going to see myself taking this bad play that I executed. I'm going to put it in this pink box. I'm going to tie the ugliest bow around it. You could think of, and I'm going to set it down here right next to me. And then I'm going to move on because I'm not going to carry that with me mm-hmm. because then you're reminding yourself, well, what about that time this happened? Or what about that time that happened? And it's like, no, 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 you got to, it's, you can't actually get rid of it in your mind. But the, the, the idea of setting it aside of, of mentally seeing yourself saying, I'm going to put that down. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to move on. That's, you know, two things at once, recognizing that you're upset or you're frustrated or whatever, and then saying, what can I do about it? What is bothering? Well, it's memory of, of this girl. Okay, well, I'm going to put this in a box and I'm going to set it down and I'm going to move on. Mm. It's, I think that a lot of us are just programmed to keep doing that to ourselves. But once you're aware that you're doing it, then I think that's when you can put the box away. What do you think? Yeah. The, the other key is ask yourself whenever you're, whenever you're stuck in a situation like that and you're hearing this voice in your head, that says, I can't do this. I can't do that. Or I should do this. I should do that. Whose voice is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it yours? Is it your mom's? Is it your dad's? Is it your cousin that you can't stand? That's why you only see him at Christmas. <laughs> Whose voice gave you the idea that that was right and that was wrong? or that you could or could not, and especially this, you could or could not do something or achieve something and, and try and figure out whose voice that is, because often it's, you're really just sort of reflecting 
a, a habitual reference that you picked up when you were like 12 years old, you know, when you um, had a bad, bad season playing softball and, you know, your dad said some off the wall comment walking back to the car, mm-hmm. like, well, that's a wasted, you know, three months, but it sticks with you. Mm-hmm. And so from there on out, you think I can't play. Why can't I play? I don't know. I just can't play softball. But, Underlying thought was when your dad hit you with that, um, with that statement. And mm-hmm. so identifying the voice and identifying what it is about that. And then, and then really trying to say, is that, you know, is that who I am today? Everything, everything changes. Chris. So you named your book, Buddha is a greeter at Walmart. Mm-hmm. What made you come up with that title? Well, you, you mentioned the Phil Jackson with, you know, pass the ball to Buddha in the key. Mm-hmm. The the original the original line is if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. Um Really? And the Why? and that yeah, that's the original well, because there's the idea of the Buddha and and then there's the fact that each of us is actually Buddha. Mm-hmm. The 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 when when you say Zen is a is a type of uh a path of uh, realization um, you're, you're just realizing everybody's Buddha. Mm-hmm. Right? Buddha was a real guy. He wasn't a god. He wasn't a religious, you know, maniac. He was a real guy. His father, he was a prince, to be sure. But, you know, he was a regular guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, shortly before he died, he said, man, don't listen to me. Go learn on uh, your own. But, the, but, the, but the, the key to Buddhism is that people get people are upset because they want things to be different than they are. Yeah. That's it. They want things to be different than they are, right? right. And, exactly. And he figured it out. He's like, why are all these people so upset with their lives and so on and so forth? Because he was a prince. He didn't like his life. He was meeting people who were poor and dying. They didn't like their life. And finally it dawned on him, wait, this is because the root of unhappiness is wanting, is sitting around and thinking about, how things need to be different because on top of everything else, you just dropped out of the moment. You're not here. You're not now. You're, you know, you're in the past um, or you're projecting a future. And so that was really the key and everything revolves, you know, sort of around that. Well, in the same way, what he was saying was it isn't about what's written. It isn't about uh, holy books or his precise words or whatever. It's about you and your individual uh, attainment or manifestation of Zen. Mm-hmm. And so the guy who says, hi, welcome to Walmart. He is every bit as much of a Buddha as you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So you mentioned one co- co- koan, right? Am I saying that right? Koan? Oh, koan. Koan. Ko- koan. Yeah. Um, are there any others that are your favorite? Um, they're, they're, the first book I wrote on Zen, which is called Life Between the Tigers, um, is I took like 300 Zen koans and rewrote them for a Western audience so that they wouldn't have to struggle with pronouncing the names. <laughs> um, and there was a whole lot of master student kind of stuff and master is a word that doesn't go over well into an American audience. Mm-hmm. So, and there was a lot of, you know, the masters were, you know, beating people with a cane. And so I took all of that imagery out and changed all the names, but the stories remained the same. One of my, one of my favorites is 
there was this teacher who had this precious teacup and it was worth, you know, a ton of money. And he had a student and the student was a young boy, precocious young lad. And one day the, the boy picked the, the cup up and looked at it and there was a sound that startled him and he dropped it. And it shattered into, you know, 500 pieces. Mm. And then he heard the master coming and the kid quickly swept up the pieces and, you know, hid behind a curtain. And the master came and called for the kid. He stepped out. Um, and the young boy looked at the master and says, Master, why, why is there such change in the world? Why is it that people are born and people die and things change? And the master said, because that is the way of the world. The world is changed. Everything only has so long to live and the cycle, you know, repeats itself. Right. Um, you have it. There's, you only have so much time, you know, to be alive and then you die and, you know, you move on at which point the little boy pulled his hands out with the busted cup in it, handed it to the master and said, it was time for your cup to die. <laughs> Oh, I love that. <laughs> and you funny. get it, right? Yes. <laughs> you get it. Right. And so, so, and, and you, your response is absolutely right. Alan Watts, the guy who was on the TV program that my mother put me in front of when I was nine years old, he said, koans are like jokes. You don't sort of get a joke and sort of, well, that's really funny. You either get it or you don't. And and koans are the same thing. You either go, wow, or you start laughing because it's like the truth of it. Yes. Is stripped. This is just right there. And you're like, oh, yeah. Um, uh, Life between the tigers. Guys walking along a cliff being chased by a tiger. And he comes to the end of the cliff and it's like, oh, what am I going to do now? And he sees a vine and he starts crawling down the vine and he looks down and there's another tiger down. He looks up, the other tiger standing there right above him. And suddenly two mice, one white, one black, start chewing on his vine and they're going to eat his way through the vine. And at that moment, he looks to his left and he sees a strawberry and he plucked the strawberry and ate it. How good it tasted. That one usually makes people get goosebumps, yeah. right? Yeah. Because he was living in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, yep. What what cool do stuff. you what do you <laughs> and scene <laughs> and scene? <laughs> um, what do you want people to learn from your book? Exactly the main lesson that that uh, that the Buddha taught that I use everyday examples of stuff in everybody's, you know, everyday life, the junk drawer, you know, the drawer in your kitchen that's got all that stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Right. There's old, <laughs> old tickets and old keys and all kinds of stuff. So I use things like the junk drawer and um, fourth down in Nirvana to go um, a butterfly that I saw on Battery Street in, in San Francisco. So I'm using everyday examples of what we encounter in everyday, in everyday life worldwide um, to point, to point, much like the finger pointing towards the moon, to point to the reason you're unhappy mm. or the reason you get frustrated is because you want things to be different than the way they are. And sometimes 
they are going to be that way, and you need to put them in a little pink box and tie an ugly bow around them and set them low and move on. So it's about trying to lead a quieter life, um, one where you don't push yourself. It's not that you don't push yourself hard. It's not, that it's not about achievement. It's about getting off your own back mm, right. and, and realizing that, you know, there are things in life that there's nothing you can do about. And there are things in life that you do that are absolute um, artistry. The Ginger Rogers and the Zena Cruise Liners um, in Nassau, when the cruise liners back up, they back up into their parking spots at, 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 in, in Nassau. So here's a, here's a guy or a woman, you know, and they're the pilot and they're turning around this gigantic cruise liner in this channel mm. that's not much wider than the boat is, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And the ocean is moving and the winds are blowing and the tides coming in or going out and people are talking. And yet that pilot knows exactly he can, he or she can feel it. Okay. Turn. Okay. And then they got to back this thing up and stop at the dock. You can't miss by two feet. You take out two feet of dock. Right. <laughs> so how is it that, how is it that they do that? They do that the same way Ginger Rogers did it backwards in the high heels. They don't think about, they just get on with living in the moment. And that's what the book's about is, is helping people get to living in the moment, understanding that they're unhappy because they, um, they want things to be, uh, to be different and just helping them quiet their, uh, the noise in between their ears so they can um, get to the secret code word of Zen, which is, Wow. <laughs> yes. So are there any, is there an example that you can share that uh, we can do today, we can use to quiet our mind or to be that Zen? Yeah. To, they, be, Kobe, the, um, to be Kobe Bryant on the court or <laughs> LeBron James. Yeah, there was a, uh, there was a um, young monk who came to a monastery and, uh, he came, happened to come at lunchtime. And so he, they took him in and they handed him a bowl of food and, and he ate it. And he walked up to the master after he finished eating. And, and, uh, uh, you know, he said, master, help me understand, um, you know, Zen. The master said, did you eat your lunch? The guy said, yeah. The master said, then clean your bowl. When you, when Buddha hits the key, He's going to turn because he knows exactly where that ball is going to be. Mm. You do the next thing Ah. and you don't, right? Right. You do the next thing. So when you're trying to make it through life and, you know, something goes good, what's the next thing? Don't stand there and pass yourself on the back. (laughs) I'll take it on to the next thing. Something goes bad. You drop the ball. Right. Pick it up and throw it. Right. Don't stand there and think about it. And what are they going to say on Sports Center about that? You know, it's like, <laughs> right. no, no, no. Just pick up the ball and throw it. Do the next thing. The, um, the next indicated step. Right. That's it. That's it. So did you find anything surprising when you the uh, surprising thing that you learned writing this book? The, the most surprising thing for me was as an author realizing um that how it's really hard to write simple. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't mean simplistic. I mean simple. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just really hard to, to how do I pare all of those words down to what I'm trying to convey yes. as opposed to what I, what I said. Right? Um, there's a famous, um, <clears throat> when you're teaching writing, there's a famous thing about, oh, you, you know, you, how many words does it take for you to convey an entire story? And there was an old story. The whole story went like this. Um, for sale, baby shoes, oh. never used. Uh, yes. That one makes me cry. You've heard that one, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's the whole arc of a story, right? The right. whole story is there, beginning, middle, end. The whole thing is there. The shortest uh, sentence in the Bible, Jesus wept. Mm. The whole story is right there. And getting too concise, getting too simple, especially for somebody who talks as much as I do, is hard <laughs> to do. Well, even like in the workplace, I've, I, I sit and I'm writing an email and I'm writing everything and I'm like, oh, this has to be in here because I need to be concise. You know, it's like, no, they don't get it. I get a response. I don't understand what you mean. And I'm like, what? I put everything in there. <laughs> right, right, right. No, exactly. And you, you, I put everything but the kitchen soup in there. And they're like, yeah, and I couldn't figure out what the heck you were talking about. I, I mean, coaches, think about that. Coaches, they, they watch diving or something, right? And the, the, the person diving, you know, just completely blows and lands, you know, belly flops off a 10-meter board or something. The coach won't take apart the whole dive. The coach will pick one thing. Mm. You might want to land vertically rather than horizontally. Oh. And that's it. Now walk away. Right. Right. They won't talk and talk and talk and talk and talk because the, the athlete, A, can't absorb it. B, their mind is so full of this chatter of, in their own brain about what I did wrong. And, you know, there goes my scholarship. But the main thing is if the, the coach understands that if I can fix one thing at a time, mm-hmm. eventually, we'll, eventually we'll get to it. Well, it's the same thing. It's like right like you would want a coach what is the one what are the three words that i have to convey you know to get this point across and you'd be amazed at how your uh emails memos all kinds of things um uh ernest hemingway you know he he, there was a sentence in in one of his books it was hot period Well, I mean, I read that and I'm like, okay, I'm out of the writing business. I could never write that well. I mean, you know, come on. Right. Simple is simple, not simplistic. Mm-hmm. Simple is hard. Yes, it is. That's why uh, I was. Hey, all, all you got to do, I have bat, I have ball. Hit, throw ball, I hit with bat. <laughs> One of the hardest things in the world to do, right? Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. Well, that that uh, leads me to so. Um, I had on a gentleman here who trains, you know, trains the body, and he was training a baseball player um, on the Dodgers. And he was looking at his form, and he told him, okay, move your arm in like an inch. And he he trained some of his muscles in his shoulder to hit, a certain way, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm not trying to say that I know everything about the body, but he did it to where he right. said, move your arm in like an inch. And that dude kept hitting home runs. 
And they're like, I don't right. know who he's training with, but oh my goodness. But he, right. it was just one small move. One small move. It's, that's, that's, all it, that's all it takes is it's, the, it's changes by degree. Um, there's, a, there's a story, a famous Zen story about a cook who the boss came up to him, his, his, his boss came up to him and said, when you slice meat, when you cut meat, when you're you know, cutting up a, a steer or something, he said, you look like an artist. Nothing is wasted, everything. And the cook is like, yeah, but you should have been here like 10 years ago when I started. You know, I was hacking things and, you know, I was using six knives, you know, to, mm. to, to work on one cow and whatever. And now he said, I've had the same knife. I haven't sharpened it in five years because there are spaces between the joints. Mm. It's there. If you can quiet the mind, it's there, and it's the it's the it's the same thing when you watch people who are exceptionally good. Tony Gwynn, remember Tony? Watching that man bat, there was mm-hmm. like no way. It didn't matter who was throwing the ball; he had every single angle mapped out mm-hmm. that he knew he could get a 95-mile-an-hour fastball out of the infield. Wow. He just knew, right? Right. He knew where the spots were. He knew that guy is going to take this long to move that way if I hit it towards second base. So I'm going to move it. I'm going to hit. I'm going to adjust my swing this much just to hit that spot. It's the it's, – it's, it's, it's removing the limitations. Again, that voice that says, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. It's removing those limitations – and allowing yourself to see what is in front of you, concentrate on on what is, and then um, execute. I'm not going to tell this story right. Another story I'm not going to tell right. But you, have you heard of the one about the boy who couldn't run and he just wanted to play baseball? He just like he he just wants to do it, and you know his his parents are like, oh well, you know you can't play baseball. You know you you have to you have to run and go around the bases. And he goes, well, if I hit a home run all the time, I won't have to run. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. He wasn't saying, okay, let me start with the limitations. He's like, no. If I hit a home run. Okay, so how do I fix it? (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's literally... Literally cutting the Gordian knot, right? It's mm. like, okay, everybody's talking about how I can't untie this thing. So what did Alexander the Great do? He pulled out a sword, cut it in half, and said, okay, let's move on. Yes. Right? Same thing here. That kid cut the Gordian knot. Like, nope. Okay, well, if I hit a home run, I can I can stand there and look at look at the umpire and say, are, are we good, Blue? He's going to say, yeah. Yes. Don't defense, you know, off you go. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, well, Chris, tell us uh, how we can get your book and find out more about you. Um, so let's take the first. Finding out about the book, you can either find uh, my books on Amazon or you can find them on our webpage, uh, which is um, Cresting Wave Publishing go cwpub.com cresting wave publishing that's our 
publishing company. Um, and for me, um, if you're a Twitter fan, you'll find me on, um, on Twitter as Zen Rooster. Ooh, why Zen that? Rooster on Twitter. Um, uh, because the objective of teaching Zen is to awaken people to the realization that they are, they are Buddha. They are perfect. They are the totality of the entire universe expressing itself here and now as you. Mm. And so my job as, as a teacher is to help wake people up. That's what a rooster does. So um, the, the imagery on the Zen rooster is of a guy sitting in meditation and there's this giant uh, rooster standing behind him. <laughs> uh, but uh, so my job is to put thoughts out there on, on uh, as Zen rooster on Twitter that, that maybe people can, um, you know, work on, uh, work on that particular day. Yeah. The, what I wanted to ask you was about your other book that you mentioned previously, the tiger was, what was that? Life between the tigers. Right. Okay. So when I saw the cover of the book, I didn't, it, it looked to me as if it was two men facing each other. And then I looked back at it and then I saw the tiger was is is that just my brain, or did you intentionally do that? <laughs> so things are strange on your planet. Um, well, you know how because no, I, oh. I I mean some 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 things look different than others. I'm now looking at the cover, and it's like okay, I I'm uh, you you have a you have a gifted imagination. <laughs> Oh, you uh, are so yeah. sweet. No, because like, yeah, um, what what is that? Uh, D- Dolly, S- Dolly, um, what is his name? That Salvador Dolly? Yeah, that does. You look at his paintings and with you the, think it's a fly, but it's not. It's yeah, with the watches that are watches that are melting and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 He has a lot. No, no, the, we were very proud. Um, a guy named uh, Pete Girardi, who's also a freelance writer, he and I actually pulled that book together, and we were very pleased to get that uh, that tiger image on the cover mm. because it just the way it's looking at you, yeah, um, is you know the same way it would look at that guy who was hanging there on that vine, right? Mm-hmm. It's like okay, it's going to do it's going to do what it's going to do regardless, and and we just thought it was. Um, and the fact that you can't see its teeth, mm. we just thought that 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 imagery would really cause people to to sort of stop in uh, in their tracks and go, "Hey, let me think about yeah. this." Um, one thing so, that I like for art, like to watch, look at art online or or have a print of it. Like my husband, he's you know an artist, and he he knows. He's like, there's no one color, the same color in the world. And that's like how he likes to paint. Um, so, mm-hmm. so, you know, he's trying to explain art to me. And then we're going to the museums and this. What finally sunk in for me was when I went to New York to um, the uh, museum there. And I saw the Lily painting by Monet. And it was... Mm-hmm. It was a full wall, like, you know, it's 
huge. Like, and I saw it and I go, I finally get it. How beautiful, like, and I just sat there and I'm like, I totally feel this painting now. But when you have the flat painting of a print in front of you, it to see the real thing is just amazing. But he's also he's also right. I mean, what is and there's this is actually in Buddhism Greek. What is blue? Blue is a sound. Blue is is a vocalization. But if you took your husband and Salvador Dali and uh, Jackson Pollock, my mm-hmm. my favorite artist, and said blue, the, what's going to show up on the canvas is going to be different every time yes. among those among those people, right? Because which blue? Marine blue, flag <laughs> blue, blue blue. You know, blue. Yes. <laughs> um, that's kind of the inverse of, you know, the, the wow thing is like when people just run out of words, they always do that. You know, comma, <laughs> you know, you know, blue. And it's like, no, I don't know blue. What is blue? Yes. No, I so don't right. know blue. Um, I don't know blue. <laughs> Chris, how do you, you have a, a son, right? Yep. So do you share your thoughts or how do you share your thoughts of Zen with him? Carefully, (laughs) um, in small bites. (laughs) And usually when I'm, when I'm in desperate need of, of a laugh, um, because he, he'll listen to some of them. And then, you know, the corner of one mouth kind of goes, you know, he kind of, you know, the corner of his mouth goes up and he's like, okay, well, that was that was a mildly interesting story there, Dad. Mm. But uh, you know he's he's twenty four years old, so um, he thinks that you know my generation was known for doing lots of chemicals back in the day. <laughs> so he's con- he's convinced that I'm in Salvador Dali land. Oh, so right. he so so he's like, sure, Dad, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I want to go. I'm going to go play Pokemon. I'm out of here. All right, but. You know, and that so that's his that's his answer to Dad Zen. I'm gonna go. <laughs> but you know, they listen. They listen. Like uh, my son was on a Zoom call with his teacher. You know, his class a couple weeks ago, and the teacher asked, "David, can you um, what would you do? What would you tell a friend if your friend was having a really tough time?" And David looked at her and said, I would tell my friend that you have to go through tough times to get to the joy on the other side. Me and my husband were like, what? what? Where, did he learn? <laughs> when did, where did he learn that? <laughs> like, right. and, and the teacher was like, wow, David, that's really good. <laughs> I'm like, really good? What? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> But, oh no! They, you know, it's, it's it's like your kids when they're little. You think they're not listening to you. They're mm-hmm. not paying attention. They they hear everything. They see everything. Yes. Um, and I know that that I know that the Zen stories go in one ear and kind of rattle around a little bit. <laughs> and I just sort of hope that that the underlying uh, the underlying message sort of sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again. Um, you know, we're back to 
you know, whenever we're playing, he, me and him and his mom are playing a board game or something, you know, I've got some sort of music playing somewhere and some song will start. And of course, you know, a disc jockey. So something starts and I go, ah, Bodhisattva, Steely Dan. Mm. And he's like, how do you, how do you know? Well, you know, you, you pick these things up over, over time. Mm-hmm. And so you, you hope that stuff sticks. Uh, but I'm listening to Bodhisattva or something and I'll, I'll Steely Dan, I'll turn to him and I'm going, are you rocking? He's like, no, dad. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I can hear Steely Dan. He hears a duck in a garbage disposal. Right. All right, let's move on. You know? I could name that song in three notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you remember. You remember what it was like. It's like okay, I got twelve seconds. I got to fill this intro. I got to say something. Yes. So you know, you know the first twelve seconds of every song you ever mm-hmm. played as a disc jockey. Yeah. And which ones you could talk? Which ones you could talk? And how good it felt when you were tight, baby. When yeah. you were like, oh, I just. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I was on point. I was in the. I shut up and Barry Manilow started singing. How good is that? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. So, Chris, you have also uh, a book called First Steps to Fly Fishing. It's the classic, yeah. 1924 classic yeah. that you updated. Talk about that. Mm hmm. Um, it's also an Amazon bestseller. It didn't hit number one, but it is an Amazon bestseller in two categories. Thank you very much. Oh, wonderful. Um, <clears throat> this book was written by a guy, uh, back in 1924, Michael Temple. And it is an, an elegantly written book about, um, how to, equip yourself and how to go out and, you know, take your first steps in, in fly fishing. It was like Mm -hmm. an 80 page book. And we found that it was in the public domain. Mm. So we said, okay, um, we really want to update that because fly fishing is, is, has really uh, caught on as a sport, uh, extremely popular with women these days. And um, it, it's something that you, it, it, to me, and it's not like everything in my life backs up in the Zen, but this does <laughs> because when you're out there, you, 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 you really got to read the river. You got to read the fish. You can't think. You just have to be there. And the whole artistry of it is just, is just you know, these flies work at this time of year. And I mean, there's just a, there's a softness and a beauty to it. And so uh, me and a guy named Joshua Bergen, who is a noted fly fishing author, uh, decided to uh, rework the book. Um, and so we added a history of fly fishing. Mm. And back in the day, he had this guy had recommended, you know, here are like the 10 or 12 flies that that, you know, you should use, you know, in 1924. So we came up with a list of the, you know, 2021 flies that you should use. Um, and we, but we showed them what those flies looked like a hundred years ago so that the reader might go, well, fish don't know that's a hundred year old fly. Right. You know, they're either going to, they're either going to eat it or or they're not. So we, we did that. We added, um, we added about a hundred pages to the book. Interesting. Uh, and it's been, and it's been, it's been, the reception's been really good because we left Michael Temple's voice. Mm-hmm. The stuff he wrote, unless it was he was using words that just wouldn't connect to an audience now, we left his voice alone 
And I sort of wove my voice and Joshua's voice around his so that the book reads, uh, con- you know, consistently from one end to the other. Yeah, it's like fly fishing. It's It combines so much, like strategy and mindfulness, like you're saying. And No, no get out of the city and stand in the middle of, of, you know, Yosemite and all of that beauty and, you know, catch the fish with a barbless hook, take a picture, put it back in the water. I mean, that's that's connected. Right. And you are up in Washington where there's many lakes. Yes. Do you go fly fishing? Many, many, um, actually, here's the irony to the whole thing. Okay. I've never fly fished once in my entire life. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. I've watched it. I've studied it. I'm actually working on, I'm actually working on a book of word search and crossword puzzles that uses nothing but terms and words from fly fishing because I spent so much time learning and reading books on the subject that I'm like, okay, how can I, how can I leverage this? So I'm actually, you know, writing a book uh, uh, with, uh, with those, but I've never actually fly fished, but I've watched and read so much that I am, uh, uh, I'm extremely dangerous on the topic, but don't <laughs> hand me a, yeah, you got it. Don't now, hand me a rod. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's awesome. I love yeah. how you, uh, you, uh, you come up with an idea and you implement it. Cause you're, hey, that's it's just a little boy with the home run, right? It's like you can't write that book. You've never fly fished. Watch me, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but also it's the thing of, um, do you like doing this? I don't know. I haven't tried it. You know, like, do you like horseback riding? I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's like well, try I've experience. Never, never tri- right, and the and and what was interesting about going back and I, mean, I have like a hundred of these books on fly fishing and trout fishing and whatever from, from like 1900 to like 1924 or whatever. These people were fishing to eat. Mm-hmm. Right. And so 90% of what they're trying to convey about how to fish is the bedrock stuff. Right. Mm, right. And it's just as translatable. I fish, you know, bass and trout fishing, stuff like that. I just don't fly fish. Um, but I, I knew that what they by reading the book that what what Michael was trying to do was convey important information about how to take care of your equipment, how to select equipment, how to you know what flies and how to read the river and so on and and those things those things are sort of timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've spent enough time on the water that that I knew uh, whether I was trying to fool somebody or trying to fool myself. <laughs> Plus. My, my editor who studied, you know, a, a book editing under, you know, the Gestapo, if there was like one word out of place, she's like, you can't say that. Mm. I'm like, okay, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. Uh, but it's, um, it's, it's exactly what I wanted it to be. If you, if you pick that book up and you gave it to your son, it would tell him, you know, here's the equipment you need to buy. And the rest of it is all marketing noise. Uh, you know, and, and here's how to read a river and here's how to, you know, work your line and, and work your pole and, um, and just remember to use barbless hooks so that, which, which, uh, so it doesn't hurt the fish as much. And then, um, and then that's why they do that. And then take a picture, put it (laughs) back in the water and move on. 
And we could get that on Amazon as well. That's right. And one thing that reminded me of, uh, did you ever watch The Lost City of Z about that, uh, the guy who goes to the Amazon to um, trace, make a map in between? I I remember seeing the ads for it. I never actually watched the movie. So... So in the movie, he met up with um, some natives and the people that were exploring, they couldn't catch one fish. They're hungry. You know, all their food is gone. And the natives taught them how to catch fish with their hands. But he, right. they also said that they didn't take more than they needed. So like the natives went in the water and they did something to the water and then all these fish came and then they grabbed it with the hand and then went and they went to go eat. And he goes, oh my goodness. And the people on the boat were like, I can't believe that that was so simple and we're sitting here trying to fish and we can't get one fish. Yeah, remember remember the movie Jeremiah Johnson with Robert Redford? No. Um, so he's this, he's this uh, city dweller in like 1850 who goes up into the mountains to become a mountain man, mm. right? And it's it's a brilliant, beautiful movie. Um, and at one point, he I mean he he does no business being in the mountains. <laughs> uh, doesn't real does just winter's coming. He has no clue what he's doing, mm-hmm. and he he stumbles upon this stream and and he looks down and there's all these big trout swimming in the stream and he's like oh my god and he's trying to run them down <laughs> and it's like no nature never made never, nature never made a stupid trout right. Let's start from there <laughs> so he's trying he's trying to run them down and suddenly he looks up and standing in the middle of the of the uh stream is a horse with an indian sitting on him and Hanging to the side of this Indian is like five of the most beautiful trout you'd Ooh. ever want to see. And the Indian looks at Redford like, dude, dude, and just turns his horse and walks away. <laughs> Later, uh, Will Gear, who played the grandpa on the Waltons, mm. uh, is a mountain man who runs into Redford and is teaching Redford how to survive. And they the two of them bump into this Indian again and Will Gear is speaking to the Indian in, in their native tongue or whatever. And, and, uh, Will Gear suddenly looks at Redford and goes, wait a minute, you two have met. <laughs> and Redford says, yeah, I seen him once. Why? what did he say? He said, he says, you fish poorly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. Oh, well, this has surely been a joy for me. I loved our conversation. Again, Chris Neely, how can we get your books and also find out more about you? Okay. The books are on uh, Amazon or they're on uh, our website, Go CW Pub, uh, Cresting Wave Publishing. And if you're interested in, in listening to me, uh, look for me on Twitter uh, and uh, under Zen Rooster. Buddha is a greeter at Walmart using Zen in everyday life. Thanks again, Chris. I appreciate it. 
I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You've been terrific. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, getting the residents of Los Angeles, Orange County, and all of Southern California closer to their community. It's The Experience with Laferne Cusack on ESPN LA 710.